Section 85 of Italy, France, Spain, and Portugal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. The World's Story, Volume 5, Italy, France, Spain, and Portugal. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 85 waterloo eighteen fifteen by victor hugo the emperor puts a question to the guide lacoste at the moment when wellington drew back napoleon started up he saw the plateau of mont saint jean suddenly laid bare and the front of the english army disappear it rallied but kept concealed the emperor half rose in his stirrups the flash of victory passed into his eyes wellington hurled back on the forest of soignes and destroyed that was the final overthrow of england by france it was cressy poitiers malplaquet and remis avenged the man of marengo was wiping out agincourt the emperor then contemplating this terrible turn of fortune swept his glass for the last time over every point of the battlefield his guard standing behind with grounded arms looked up to him with a sort of religion he was reflecting he was examining the slopes noting the ascents scrutinizing the tufts of the trees the square rye field the footpath he seemed to count every bush he looked for some time at the english barricades on the two roads two large abatis of trees that on the genappe road above la haye saint armed with two cannon which alone of all the english artillery bore upon the bottom of the field of battle and that of the nevis road where glistened the dutch bayonets of chase's brigade he noticed near the barricade the old chapel of st nicholas painted white which is at the corner of the cross road toward brain la Lude. he bent over and spoke in an undertone to the guide lacoste the guide made a negative sign of the head probably treacherous the emperor rose up and reflected wellington had fallen back it remained only to complete this repulse by a crushing charge Napoleon, turning abruptly, sent off a courier at full speed to Paris to announce that the battle was won. Napoleon was one of those geniuses who ruled the thunder. He had found his thunderbolt. He ordered Milon's cuirassiers to carry the plateau of Mont Saint Jean. The unlooked for. They were thirty-five hundred. They formed a line of half a mile. They were gigantic men on colossal horses. There were twenty-six squadrons and they had behind them as support the division of lefebvre de noets the hundred and six gendarmes d'elite the chasseurs of the guard one thousand one hundred and ninety seven men and the lancers of the guard eight hundred and eighty lances they wore casks without plumes and cuirasses of wrought iron with horse pistols in their holsters and long sabre swords in the morning they had been the admiration of the whole army when at nine o'clock with trumpets sounding and all the bands playing veillons au salut de l'empire they came in heavy columns one of their batteries on their flank the other at their centre and deployed in two ranks between the genappe road and frechemont and took their position of battle in this powerful second line so wisely made up by napoleon which having at its extreme left the cruciers of kellermann and at its extreme right the cruciers of milhon 
had so to speak two wings of iron aide-de-camp bernard brought them the emperor's order ney drew his sword and placed himself at their head the enormous squadrons began to move then was seen a fearful sight all this cavalry with sabres drawn banners waving and trumpets sounding formed in column by divisions descended with an even movement and as one man with the precision of a bronze battering-ram opening a breach the hill of la belle alliance sank into the formidable depths where so many men had already fallen disappeared in the smoke then rising from this valley of shadow reappeared on the other side still compact and serried mounting at full trot through a cloud of grape emptying itself upon them the frightful acclivity mud of the plateau of mont saint jean they rose serious and menacing imperturbable in the intervals of the musketry and artillery could be heard the sound of this colossal tramp being in two divisions they formed two columns waitier's division had the right delors the left from a distance they could be taken for two immense serpents of steel stretching themselves toward the crest of the plateau that ran through the battle like a prodigy nothing like it had been seen since the taking of the grand redoubt at la moscowa by the heavy cavalry murat was not there but ney was there it seemed as if this mass had become a monster and had but a single mind each squadron undulated and swelled like the ring of a polyp they could be seen through the thick smoke as it was broken here and there it was one pell-mell of casks cries sabres a furious bounding of horses among the cannon and the flourish of trumpets a terrible and disciplined tumult over all the cuirasses like the scales of a hydra these recitals appear to belong to another age something like this vision appeared doubtless in the old orphic epics which tell of centaurs antique hathanthropes those titans with human faces and chests like horses whose gallop scaled olympus horrible invulnerable sublime at once gods and beasts in odd numerical coincidence twenty-six battalions were to receive these twenty-six squadrons behind the crest of the plateau under cover of the massed battery the english infantry formed in thirteen squares two battalions to the square and upon two lines seven on the first and six on the second with musket to the shoulder and eye upon their sights waiting calm silent and immovable they could not see the cruciers and the cruciers could not see them they listened to the rising of this tide of men they heard the increasing sound of three thousand horses the alternate and measured striking of their hoofs at full trot the rattling of the cuirasses the clicking of sabres and a sort of fierce roar of the coming host there was a moment of fearful silence then suddenly a long line of raised arms brandishing sabres appeared above the crest with casks trumpets and standards and three thousand faces with gray mustaches crying vive l'empereur all this cavalry debauched on the plateau and it was like the beginning of an earthquake all at once tragic to relate to the left of the english and in our right the head of the column of cruciers reared with a frightful clamor arrived at the culminating point of the crest unmanageable full of fury and bent upon the extermination of the squares and cannons the cruciers saw between themselves and the english a ditch a grave it was the sunken road of ohain it was a frightful moment there was the ravine unlooked for yawning at the very feet of the horses 
two fathoms deep between its double slope the second rank pushed in the first the third pushed in the second the horses reared threw themselves over fell upon their backs and struggled with their feet in the air piling up and overturning their riders no power to retreat the whole column was nothing but a projectile the force acquired to crush the english crushed the french the inexorable ravine could not yield until it was filled riders and horses rolled in together pell-mell grinding each other making common flesh in this dreadful gulf and when this grave was full of living men the rest marched over them and passed on almost a third of the dubois brigade sank into this abyss here the loss of the battle began a local tradition which evidently exaggerates says that two thousand horses and fifteen hundred men were buried in the sunken road of ohain this undoubtedly comprises all the other bodies thrown into this ravine on the morrow after the battle napoleon before ordering this charge of milhaud's cuirassiers had examined the ground but could not see this hollow road which did not make even a wrinkle on the surface of the plateau warned however and put on his guard by the little white chapel which marks its junction with the neville's road he had probably on the contingency of an obstacle put a question to the guide lacoste the guide had answered no it may almost be said that from this shake of a peasant's head came the catastrophe of napoleon still other fatalities must arise was it possible that napoleon should win this battle we answer no why because of wellington because of blucher no because of god for bonaparte to be conqueror at waterloo was not in the law of the nineteenth century another series of facts were preparing in which napoleon had no place the ill-will of events had long been announced it was time that this vast man should fall the excessive weight of this man in human destiny disturbed the equilibrium this individual counted of himself more than the universe besides these plethoras of all human vitality concentrated in a single head the world mounting to the brain of one man would be fatal to civilization if they should endure the moment had come for incorruptible supreme equity to look to it probably the principles and elements upon which regular gravitations in the moral order as well as in the material depend began to murmur reeking blood overcrowded cemeteries weeping mothers these are formidable pleaders when the earth is suffering from a surcharge there are mysterious moanings from the deeps which the heavens hear napoleon had been impeached before the infinite and his fall was decreed he vexed god waterloo is not a battle it is the change of front of the universe the plateau of mont saint jean at the same time with the ravine the artillery was unmasked sixty cannon and thirteen squares thundered and flashed into the cuirassiers the brave general delore gave the military salute to the english battery all the english flying artillery took position in the squares at a gallop the cuirassiers had not even time to breathe the disaster of the sunken road had decimated but not discouraged them they were men who diminished in number grew greater in heart wathier's column alone had suffered from the disaster delors which ney had sent obliquely to the left as if he had a presentiment of the snare arrived entire the cruciers hurled themselves upon the english squares 
at full gallop with free rein their sabres in their teeth and their pistols in their hands the attack began there are moments in battle when the soul hardens a man even to changing the soldier into a statue and all this flesh becomes granite the english battalions desperately assailed did not yield an inch then it was frightful all sides of the english squares were attacked at once a whirlwind of frenzy enveloped them this frigid infantry remained impassable the first rank with knee on the ground received the cuirassiers on their bayonets the second shot them down behind the second rank the cannoneers loaded their guns the front of the square opened made way for an eruption of grape and closed again the cuirassiers answered by rushing upon them with crushing force their great horses reared trampled upon the ranks leaped over the bayonets and fell gigantic in the midst of these four living walls the balls made gaps in the ranks of the cuirassiers the cuirassiers made breaches in the squares files of men disappeared ground down beneath the horses feet bayonets were buried in the bellies of these centaurs hence a monstrosity of wounds never perhaps seen elsewhere the squares consumed by this furious cavalry closed up without wavering inexhaustible and great they kept up an explosion in the midst of their assailants it was a monstrous sight these squares were battalions no longer they were craters these cuirassiers were cavalry no longer they were a tempest each square was a volcano attacked by a thunder cloud the lava fought with the lightning the square on the extreme right the most exposed of all being in the open field was almost annihilated at the first shock it was formed of the seventy-fifth regiment of highlanders the piper in the centre while the work of extermination was going on profoundly oblivious of all about him casting down his melancholy eye full of the shadows of forests and lakes seated upon a drum his bagpipe under his arm was playing his mountaineers these scotchmen died thinking of ben lothian as the greeks died remembering argo the sabre of a cuirassiers striking down the pibroch and the arm which bore it caused the strain to cease by killing the player the cuirassiers relatively few in number lessened by the catastrophe of the ravine had to contend with almost the whole of the english army but they multiplied themselves each man became equal to ten nevertheless some hanoverian battalions fell back wellington saw it and remembered his cavalry had napoleon at that very moment remembered his infantry he would have won the battle this forgetfulness was his great fatal blunder suddenly the assailant cuirassiers perceived that they were assailed the english cavalry was upon their back before them the squares behind them somerset somerset with the fourteen hundred dragoon guards somerset had on his right dornberg with his german light horse and on his left trip with the belgian carbineers the cuirassiers attacked front flank and rear by infantry and cavalry were compelled to face in all directions what was that to them they were a whirlwind their valor became unspeakable besides they had behind them the ever-thundering artillery all that was necessary in order to wound such men in the back one of their cuirasses with a hole in the left shoulder blade made by a musket ball is in the collection of the waterloo museum with such frenchmen only such englishmen could cope 
it was no longer a conflict it was a darkness a fury a giddy vortex of souls and courage a hurricane of sword flashes in an instant the fourteen hundred horse guards were but eight hundred fuller their lieutenant colonel fell dead ney rushed up with the lancers and chasseurs of lefebvre de noet the plateau of mont saint jean was taken retaken and taken again the cuirassiers left the cavalry to return to the infantry or more correctly all this terrible multitude wrestled with each other without letting go their hold the squares still held there were twelve assaults ney had four horses killed under him half of the cuirassiers lay on the plateau this struggle lasted two hours the english army was terribly shaken there is no doubt if they had not been crippled in their first shock by the disaster of the sunken road the cuirassiers would have overwhelmed the centre and decided the victory this wonderful cavalry astounded clinton who had seen talavera and badajos wellington though three-fourths conquered was struck with heroic admiration he said in a low voice splendid the cuirassiers annihilated seven squares out of thirteen took or spiked sixty pieces of cannon and took from the english regiments six colors which three cuirassiers and three chasseurs of the guard carried to the emperor before the farm of la belle alliance the situation of wellington was growing worse this strange battle was like a duel between two wounded infuriates who while yet fighting and resisting lose all their blood which of the two shall fall first the struggle of the plateau continued how far did the cuirassiers penetrate none can tell one thing is certain the day after the battle a cuirassier and his horse were found dead under the frame of the hay scales at mont saint jean at the point where the four roads from neville's genot la Houpe, and brussels meet this horseman had pierced the english lines one of the men who took away the body still lives at mont saint jean his name is de hayes he was then eighteen years old wellington felt he was giving away the crisis was upon him the cuirassiers had not succeeded in this sense that the centre was not broken while holding the plateau nobody held it and in fact it remained for the most part with the english wellington held the village and the crowning plain ney held only the crest and the slope on both sides they seemed rooted in this funeral soil but the enfeeblement of the english appeared irremediable the hemorrhage of this army was horrible camped on the left wing called for reinforcements impossible answered wellington we must die on the spot we now occupy almost at the same moment singular coincidence which depicts the exhaustion of both armies ney sent to napoleon for infantry and napoleon exclaimed infantry where does he expect me to take them does he expect me to make them however the english army was farthest gone the furious onslaughts of these great squadrons with iron cuirasses and steel breastplates had ground up the infantry a few men about a flag marked the place of a regiment battalions were now commanded by captains or lieutenants alton's division already so cut up at la haye saint was almost destroyed the intrepid belgians of von cluse's brigade strewed the right field along the neville's road there were hardly any left of those dutch grenadiers who in eighteen eleven joined to our ranks in spain fought against wellington and who in eighteen fifteen rallied on the english side 
fought against napoleon the loss of officers was heavy lord uxbridge who buried his leg next day had a knee fractured if on the side of the french in this struggle of the crociers delors la herter colbert dinot travers and blancard were hors de combat on the side of the english alton was wounded barn was wounded delancey was killed van marine was killed Antetta was killed the entire staff of wellington was decimated and england had the worst share in this balance of blood the second regiment of foot guards had lost five lieutenant colonels four captains and three ensigns the first battalion of the thirtieth infantry had lost twenty-four officers and one hundred and twelve soldiers the seventy-ninth highlanders had twenty-four officers wounded eighteen officers killed and four hundred and fifty soldiers slain cumberland's hanoverian hussars an entire regiment having at its head colonel hack who was afterward court-martialed and broken had drawn rein before the fight and were in flight in the forest of zoins spreading the panic as far as brussels carts ammunition wagons baggage wagons ambulances full of wounded seeing the french gain ground and approach the forest fled precipitately the dutch sabred by the french cavalry cried murder from ver cuckoo to Gronendale. for a distance of nearly six miles in the direction toward brussels the roads according to the testimony of witnesses still alive were choked with fugitives this panic was such that it reached the prince of conde at malines and louis the eighteenth at ghent with the exception of the small reserve drawn up in echelon behind the hospital established at the farm of mont saint jean and the brigades of vivian and vandelier on the flank of the left wing wellington's cavalry was exhausted a number of batteries lay dismounted these facts are confessed by seaborne and pringle exaggerating the disaster says even that the anglo-dutch army was reduced to thirty-four thousand men the iron duke remained calm but his lips were pale the austrian commissary vincent the spanish commissary Olava, present at the battle of the english staff thought the duke was beyond hope at five o'clock wellington drew out his watch and was heard to murmur these sombre words lucher or knight it was about this time that a distant line of bayonets glistened on the heights beyond frischemont here is a turning point in this colossal drama bad guide for napoleon good guide for boulot we understand the bitter mistake of napoleon grouchy hoped for blucher arriving death instead of life destiny has such turnings awaiting the world's throne saint helena became visible if the little cowboy who acted as guide to boulot blucher's lieutenant had advised him to debauch from the forest about frischemont rather than below Flechenois. the shaping of the nineteenth century would perhaps have been different napoleon would have won the battle of waterloo by any other road than below Planchenois, the prussian army would have brought up at a ravine impassable for artillery and bulow would not have arrived now an hour of delay as the prussian general muffling declares and blucher would not have found wellington in position the battle was lost it was time we have seen that bulow should arrive he had bivouacked at dion le mont and started on at dawn but the roads were impracticable and his division stuck in the mire the cannons sank to the hubs in the ruts furthermore he had to cross the dial on the narrow bridge of waver 
the street leading to the bridge had been fired by the french the caissons and artillery wagons being unable to pass between two rows of burning houses had to wait till the fire was extinguished it was noon before bulot could reach chapelle saint lambert had the action commenced two hours earlier it would have been finished at four o'clock and blucher would have fallen upon a field already won by napoleon such are these immense chances portioned to an infinity which we cannot grasp as early as midday the emperor first of all with his field-glass perceived in the extreme horizon something which fixed his attention he said i see yonder a cloud which appears to me to be troops then he asked the duke of dalmatia salt what do you see toward chapelle saint lambert the marshal turning his glass that way answered four or five thousand men sire grouchy of course meanwhile it remained motionless in the haze the glasses of the whole staff studied the cloud pointed out by the emperor some said they are columns halting the most said it is trees the fact is that the cloud did not stir the emperor detached damon's division of light cavalry to reconnoitre this obscure point bulow in fact had not moved his vanguard was very weak and could do nothing he had to wait for the bulk of his corps d'armee and he was ordered to concentrate his force before entering into line but at five o'clock seeing wellington's peril blucher ordered bulow to attack and uttered these remarkable words we must give the english army a breathing spell soon after the division of Lostin, hiller hack and reisel deployed in front of lebeau's corpse the cavalry of prince william of prussia debouched from the wood of paris planchenois was in flames and the prussians balls began to rain down even in the ranks of the guard in reserve behind napoleon the guard the rest is known the eruption of a third army the battle thrown out of joint eighty-six pieces of artillery suddenly thundering forth perch the first coming up with bulow zython's cavalry led by blucher in person the french crowded back marconnet swept from the plateau of ohain durette dislodged from papelot donslow and quite recoiling lebeau taken en sharp a new battle falling at nightfall upon our dismantled regiments the whole english line assuming the offensive and pushed forward the gigantic gap made in the french army the english grape and the prussian grape lending mutual aid extermination disaster in front disaster in flank the guard entering into line amid this terrible crumbling feeling they were going to their death they cried out vive l'empereur there is nothing more touching in history than this death agony bursting forth in acclamations the sky has been overcast all day all at once at this very moment it was eight o'clock at night the clouds in the horizon broke and through the elms on the neville's road streamed the sinister red light of the setting sun the rising sun shone upon austerlitz each battalion of the guard for this final effort was commanded by a general Cryant, michel roger harley mallet Horé de morvan were there when the tall caps of the grenadiers of the guard with their large eagle plates appeared symmetrical drawn up in a line calm in the smoke of that conflict the enemy felt respect for france they thought they saw twenty victories entering upon the field of battle with wings extended and those who were conquerors thinking themselves conquered recoiled but wellington cried 
up guards and at them the red regiment of english guards lying behind the hedges rose up a shower of grape riddled the tricolored flag fluttering about our eagles all hurled themselves forward and the final carnage began the imperial guard felt the army slipping away around them in the gloom and the vast overthrow of the roof they heard the footnote save yourselves end of footnote which had replaced the vive l'empereur and with flight behind them they held on their course battered more and more and dying faster and faster at every step there were no weak souls or cowards there the privates of that band were as heroic as their general not a man flinched from the suicide nay desperate great in all the grandeur of his accepted death bared himself to every blow in this tempest he had his horse killed under him reeking with sweat fire in his eyes froth upon his lips his uniform unbuttoned one of his epaulettes half cut away by the sabre stroke of a horse guard his badge of the grand eagle pierced by a ball bloody covered with mud magnificent a broken sword in hand he said come and see how a marshal of france dies upon the field of battle but in vain he did not die he was haggard and exasperated he flung this question at drew d'arlon what are you not going to die he cried out in the midst of all this artillery which was mowing down a handful of men is there nothing then for me oh i would that all these english balls were buried in my body unhappy man thou wast reserved for french bullets the catastrophe the rue behind the guard was dismal the army fell back rapidly from all sides at once from hougemont from la haye saint from papolo from blanchenois the cry treachery was followed by the cry sauve qui pieu a disbanding army is a thaw the whole bends cracks snaps floats rolls falls crushes hurries plunges mysterious disintegration ney borrows a horse leaps upon him and without hat cravat or sword plants himself in the brussels road arresting at once the english and the french he endeavors to hold the army to call them back he reproaches them he grapples with the rue he is swept away the soldiers flee from him crying vive le marshal ney durette's two regiments come and go frightened and tossed between the sabres of ulins and the fire of the brigades of kent best pack and ryland rue is the worst of all conflicts friends slay each other in their flight squadrons and battalions are crushed and dispersed against each other enormous foam of the battle lubeau at one extremity like ray at the other is rolled away in the flood in vain does napoleon make walls with the remains of the guard in vain does he expend his reserve squadrons in a last effort quio gives way before vivian kellerman before vandalier lebeau before bulow moreau before perche domin and liberic before prince william of prussia gaio who had led the emperor's squadrons to the charge falls under the feet of the english horse napoleon gallops along the fugitives harangues them urges threatens entreats the mouths which in the morning were crying viva l'empereur are now agape he is hardly recognized the prussian cavalry just come up spring forward fling themselves upon the enemy sabre cut hack kill exterminate teams rush off the guns are left to the care of themselves the soldiers of the train unhitch the caissons and take the horses to escape 
wagons upset with their four wheels in the air block up the road and are accessories of massacre they crush and they crowd they trample upon the living and the dead arms are broken a multitude fills roads paths bridges plains hills valleys woods choked up by this flight of forty thousand men cries despair knapsacks and muskets cast into the rye passages forced at the point of the sword no more comrades no more officers no more generals inexpressible dismay zethan sabring france at his ease lions become kids such was this flight at genappe there was an effort to turn back to form a line to make a stand lebeau rallied three hundred men the entrance to the village was barricaded but at the first volley of prussian grape all took to flight again and lebeau was captured the marks of volley of grape are still to be seen upon the old gable of a brick ruin at the right of the road a short distance before entering genappe the prussians rushed into genappe furious doubtless at having conquered so little the pursuit was monstrous blucher gave orders to kill all roger had set this sad example by threatening with death every french grenadier who should bring him a prussian prisoner blucher surpassed roger the general of the young guard duhesme caught at the door of a tavern in genappe gave up his sword to a hussar of death who took the sword and killed the prisoner the victory was completed by the assassination of the vanquished let us punish since we are history old blucher disgraced himself this ferocity filled the disaster to the broom the desperate rue passed through genappe passed through courtrebras passed through sombrif passed through Froshness, passed through thien passed through charleroi and stopped only at the frontier alas who now was flying in such wise the grand army this madness this terror this falling to ruins of the highest bravery whichever astonished history can that be without cause no the shadow of an enormous right hand rests on waterloo it is the day of destiny a power above man controlled that day hence the loss of mind in dismay hence all these great souls yielding up their swords those who have conquered europe fell to the ground have nothing more to say or to do feeling a terrible presence in the darkness in fede footnote so fate decreed end of footnote that day the perspective of the human race changed waterloo is the hinge of the nineteenth century the disappearance of the great man was necessary for the advent of the great century one to whom there is no reply took it in charge the panic of heroes is explained in the battle of waterloo there is more than a cloud there is a meteor god passed over it in the gathering night on a field near genappe bernard and bertrand seized by a flap of his coat and stopped a haggard thoughtful gloomy man who dragged thus far by the current of the rue had dismounted passed the bridle of his horse under his arm and with bewildering eye was returning alone toward waterloo it was napoleon endeavoring to advance again mighty somnambulist of a vanished dream End of section 85. This recording is in the public domain.